I've got to put the other ones out. So if you want to grab a, if you want to grab a Bible, if you've not got one, uh, that'd be great. We are in uh, page eleven hundred and forty. Page 1140, uh, we're looking at Romans 13 and 14 this morning. And uh, I'm not going to read both chapters because there's quite a lot of it. And we're, um, we're just going to land on uh, various bits. So we're going to try and unpack the whole thing. But um, we're going to land on various verses as we, um, as we go through. So I'll read bits and pieces as we, as we go along. I said, uh, what did I say? 1140. 1140, yes, 1140, Romans chapter 13 and 14. So let's uh, have a word of prayer and then we'll, um, then we'll dive in. Father, thank you for your presence with us this morning. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you're a God of revelation who loves to speak to us, to encourage us, to uh, challenge us, to show us the things that are true. And uh, Father, that's what we're interested in this morning. We're interested in hearing your voice. And so we pray that our hearts and minds may be open and attentive to you. And that we may hear your voice for Jesus' sake. Amen. 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 So if you're, um, if you're visiting, you've not been here for a while, we've been uh, spending the last few months on and off going through this wonderful letter to uh, the Romans, written by uh, the Apostle Paul. Uh, context is a uh, small little church gathered in Rome, probably you know, a couple of dozen, a few dozen strong at the most, meeting in secret, meeting in different houses, a uh, mixture of slaves and free, um, Greeks and Romans, uh, a whole kind of hodgepodge of people who have been drawn together by the good news of Jesus. And uh, this letter arrives And uh, it's read to them and uh, as we have been doing so they would have pondered it and poured over it and uh, tried to work out what it uh, all meant. And so here we are in chapters 13 and 14. If you were here last week or if you've uh, listened online, uh, having spent 11 years, 11 years, 11 feels like 11 years, 11 chapters uh, (laughs) unpacking theology and uh, the wonder of what God has done in Jesus Christ. Uh, last week, we uh, uh, beginning of chapter 12, uh, Paul moves from kind of theology to practicality. What does it look like to live in the light of what Jesus has done? So the beginning of chapter 12, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy. And what Paul has done in the first 11 chapters is lay out for us God's mercy. He's laid out for us the problem that we're separated from God through Sin and rebellion and wrongdoing and then he's laid out the good news that while there was nothing that we could do to close that gap between us and a loving God, God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for us on a cross and it's through Jesus's death on a cross. That's how God displays his mercy and because of God's mercy we are able to come back into good relationship with God once again. So the question is well what does that look like as we live our daily lives. If we've received that mercy, again beginning of chapter 12, just to recap a little bit, what does it look like when we offer our bodies as living sacrifices? What's it look like when we no longer conform to the pattern of this world? What does it look like when our minds have been transformed and we've discovered God's will, his good, pleasing and perfect will? So Paul begins in chapter 12 to unpack what that looks like. 
and continues in chapters 13 and 14 and beyond. Uh, what does it look like? And uh, remarkably, I've, uh, I've, I've come up with a three-point sermon. I think we need a hallelujah because that doesn't happen very often. So hallelujah, we've got three points this morning. And uh, what it looks like is we live in the light of eternity. We live our lives in the light of eternity. We live our lives under authority and we live our lives in community. So those are my three points. So I'm very excited to have a three-point sermon because it rarely happens. So those are the things. We live in the light of eternity. We live under authority and we live in community. That's what it looks like to live in view of God's mercy. So chapter 13 and verse 11, uh, Paul says the second sentence, The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So Paul says we, in view of God's mercy, in view of what God has done, we look at our lives differently. We don't look at our lives thinking, well, this is all that there is. We live this life and then it's going to come to an end. And that's it. Finished. No, he says we live in the light of eternity. Salvation is coming. And every day, the salvation that we're longing for, the return of Jesus Christ, it's a day nearer than it was Yesterday, the night is nearly over. So the implication of that is we we are living in a season of darkness. There's there's gloom. There are things that are not working as they should. But we're getting near the end. The day is almost here. So we live with a very different perspective on our lives. Let me just outline three ways in which this impacts the way that we live our lives. Firstly, a suffering. We look at suffering differently. I don't know if you've ever seen um, uh, Stephen Fry, a very intelligent man, uh, a convinced atheist. And when he talks about his atheism, his atheism is based on the idea that uh, the world that we live in is filled with suffering. It's filled with illness. Much, it's, uh, and so he thinks, well, how can there be a God who created a world that is, that is like this? How can there be a God who... Uh, who who created a world with uh, suffering kind of baked in and who does nothing about it, Uh, which has a certain logic to it. And lots of people make the same conclusion. We look at the world, we look at suffering, you think, well, if if there's a God who created, he must be a monster. And that's Stephen Fry's conclusion is, if there was a God, he would be a monster to allow the world as it is. But we look at things, uh, not from that perspective, we look at things through... uh, in light of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy. God has been merciful. Why is God merciful towards us? Because he created a world that was good and that was perfect. The opening verses of Genesis say God created and it was good and it was good and it was good and it was very good. And he created us for relationship with him and relationship involves free choice. Otherwise, it's not a relationship. We would just be robots. And in our free will, we chose to do life without God. And God in his love said, well, you can do life without me. But there will be consequences of doing that. But God doesn't abandon us in the world that we've created. 
He comes to rescue us in his son, Jesus Christ. That's God's mercy. So we see suffering differently. Uh, beginning of chapter, uh, not chapter, uh, begin, uh, chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. What does Paul say? I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Our present sufferings. We do live in a world filled with present sufferings. But there is nothing compared with the glory that will be revealed. I said, um, I'm just going to recap a little bit last week. Because I said some things last week that, uh, that weren't in the sermon. So they weren't recorded. So I'm going to say them again just briefly. So that they are in the sermon and you can come back to them. But um, I said last week just a little bit about you know, the finished work of the cross. You know, on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. The work is finished. Psalm 103, the first couple of verses. Uh, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. That's what God says he is doing for us. When did God do that? When did God forgive all our sins and heal our diseases? When was that made possible? When was that made effective? 2,000 years ago on the cross. Our sins were forgiven. And all the suffering and all the illness and all the things that we wrestle with in this life, it was all dealt with on the cross. It was finished. So when we have this, when we think about suffering and when we pray, as we have been this morning, as we pray for those who are sick, as we're praying for Rob with his cancer and for Jean with her things and all all these other things that we're praying for, the perspective that we have is we're not praying for a battle to be won. Because the battle was won on the cross 2,000 years ago. What we are praying for is that we would see the reality of that victory sooner rather than later. So as we're praying for Rob, we're not praying for a battle over Rob's cancer to be won. That battle was won 2,000 years ago on the cross. It's all about timing. It's about when will we see that victory. And so our prayers is, Lord, may we see that victory now. We live with miracle and mystery. We pray for the miracle that we would see the effect of Christ's finished work on the cross now. And that cancer in Rob would be cursed, that it would be removed, that those cancerous cells would go and be replaced with living healthy tissue. That's the victory that was won 2,000 years ago on the cross. That's what we pray for. But we recognise that sometimes we live with mystery. We live with mystery and God's timing is perfect and his purposes are beyond ours. And so sometimes we don't see the application of the victory in the time that we would like to. That doesn't mean the victory hasn't been won. And that's the thing. In Christ, we cannot lose. In Christ, we live forever. We cannot lose. And that changes our perspective on suffering. And God's promise is to be with us in our suffering. And sometimes to transform it. So uh, living in the light of eternity changes our perspective on suffering. It changes our perspective on justice. Remember last week, uh, towards the end of chapter 12, verse 19, Paul says, Don't take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. It is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay. In uh, chapter 14, verse uh, 10, second half of uh, verse 10, he says, uh, we will all stand before God's judgment seat. We will all stand before God's judgment seat. In a godless universe, uh, there is no justice. 
Or very often there is no justice because in a godless universe, so often the wicked get away with their wickedness and never have to give an account. I remember uh, years ago when um, everything came out about uh, Jimmy Savile and uh, uh, hundreds and hundreds of people that he had abused. And there was a magazine article written about it. And at the end of the article, it closed simply by saying he got away with it. And in a godless universe, that's exactly what happened. But uh, I read that he got away with it. and I thought, well, no, he didn't. No, he didn't, because we will all stand before God's judgment seat. No one, no one gets away with, with anything. We all have to give an account. God is a God of justice, and sooner or later that justice will be applied, which is why we need to live in the light of God's mercy and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, who took on himself the penalty that we were due to, we were due to pay. It's, it changes our perspective on forgiveness, how do you forgive someone who's wronged you and who shows no contrition, who never says sorry? How do you let go of that hurt and anger and pain that you feel towards that person? Well, in Christ you can do it because, because they will have to give an account of themselves to God. And God will see that there is justice. It allows us to forgive. It allows us to release people. Because when we forgive, we're not saying, well, what you did was okay. It just means you will have to give an account to God, as I will have to give an account of my life to God. So it changes our perspective on, uh, on suffering, on justice. It changes our perspective on, on the environment and how we look after this world. We are bombarded at the moment with news headlines that would tell us that um, we are destroying our planet. And uh, in a very short space of time, uh, we're all going to die because of the way that we're abusing the planet. And uh, it's going to run out. It's the only one we've got and it's going to come to an end. And that's why we need to start looking after it. There was a headline last week. uh, 2023 was the hottest year. Hottest year since records began. That was the headline that we were given. And everyone is terribly fearful and thinking, oh my goodness, what what can we do? I was reading some some other research and the... uh, 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 the research shows that last year, 2023, in, uh, 58% of the world's land surface, including North America, Europe, Arctic and the Antarctic, in which 73% of the world's population currently live, it wasn't the hottest year. <laughs> so statistics will tell you anything you, <laughs> anything you want. It wasn't, it wasn't the hottest year. But all these, all these headlines throw us into a terrible panic of... What are we going to do? Well, we know. Paul has said, our present suffering is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. The world is decaying. Subject to decay. We are not helping. (laughs) Human activity is not helping. The reality is we were created to be stewards of God's creation. And we are not. We are abusers of God's creation. We, you know, we rape the world and we exploit the world uh, for our own ends. The reason I try to look after the planet and recycle everything in my house, my my kids are like, where do I put this? Because I have... I kind of think, oh, I should recycle that and have nowhere to put it. So I have, I have, a, you know, I have a box under the sink. I have a 
bag in the cupboard, I have another bag in the utility room, I have another bag in the utility I like recycle everything, so I'm trying to look after the planet. Why? Because I want to be a good steward of God's creation. Not because I think this world is going to last forever. It's not. It's not. Jesus is going to come back and it's going to be recreated. Gloriously. Beyond anything that we could imagine. That's why the physical resurrection of Jesus from the dead is so important. Because in the resurrected body of Jesus, we see the foretaste of what it is we're looking forward to. So, yeah, the world is going to come to an end. Don't be surprised. It's in here. It's going to come to an end because God's going to make a new one. So I look after the world because I'm made in the image of God. And he created it to be good. And he loves it. And it grieves his heart that we exploit it. But I don't look after it because I'm in a panic. It's suddenly going to come to an end. It's going to. Can't wait. Because then we'll have a new one. So living in the light of eternity, it changes our perspective on suffering, on justice, on the environment, and a whole host of other things. So that's my first point. How are we doing? Uh, there we go. The other two are not quite as long. But, um, but when you live in the light of eternity, it changes. It changes everything. We have this endless hope. This certain hope that no one can take from us. We cannot lose in Christ. The battle, yes, yes, hallelujah. The battle is won on the cross. That's why Jesus said, it is finished. It is finished. We need to get our heads around that. So, um, what was my next point? We live under authority. We live under authority. Back to the beginning of chapter 13. Everyone must submit themselves to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. This is quite challenging, isn't it? There is no authority that isn't delegated authority by God. So any government that exists in the world, the authority that they exercise is God's delegated authority. Which is quite challenging when you think about some of the governmental systems um, in the world. But, what's the governmental system in Paul's day? It's, uh, it's a few, few dozen senators, and then, and then Caesar um, gets rid of them, and it's all concentrated in Caesar, and it just becomes a dictatorship. There's no, you know, this is not, um, uh, you know, a sort of liberal democracy. This is, you know, authoritarian government. And Paul says, everyone must submit themselves to the governing authorities. So there is no authority that ultimately doesn't derive from from the Lord Jesus. At the end of Matthew's Gospel, the Great Commission, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Who has given Jesus all his authority? The Father. God the Father has given all authority to Jesus. When Jesus is on trial before Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate says to him, Do you not realise that I have the power to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus looks him in the eye and says, you would have no power over me if it hadn't been given you from above. Because the only authority you have is delegated. Um, in, the, in the fourth century, Rome was uh, destroyed. Uh, the, sort of the, the vandals and the pagans came in from the north and destroyed Rome. And the Christians got the blame uh, uh, because they hadn't been worshipping all the right gods. They weren't worshipping all the gods of Rome. They were just worshipping the living God, uh, Jesus Christ. And so Christians got the blame. And so a very famous bishop, Augustine, Bishop of Hippo, Uh, Not the animal, the city in North Africa. Uh, He wrote a book called The City of God. And and in the book, he kind of argued the case for civil government. And he said the role of civil government is to create an environment in which people can live in freedom and come to faith in the Lord Jesus. 
basically. That's the role of civil government. So, so Paul's basically saying, look, essentially that's what civil government is there to do. It's to create order and to create a place where there is justice, where, 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 where the wicked are brought to justice. And if you, if you live your life well, you will not be punished. You will not get into, uh, you'll not get into trouble. That's what civil government is for. So he says, don't rebel against it. You might not like it. Don't try to overthrow it. Verse 6. Uh, well, you pay taxes. The authorities are God's servants. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, revenue. If respect, respect. If honour, then honour. So we live under authority, but... But, <laughs> ultimately, we live under the authority of Jesus Christ. Which means that while we live under a governmental authority that is there, hopefully, to create an environment in which we can live... Uh, it, we can live well, we can live peaceably, uh, we can find Jesus Christ. Sometimes that government will not act in the way that it should. And ultimately we have a higher authority to Jesus Christ, which means we are at liberty to challenge the government that is over us when it is not living under the authority of, respecting the authority of Jesus Christ. So there's lots going on in our society at the moment that uh, would conflict with what Jesus has shown us through his word. And we are right to challenge those things. Uh, one of the things that, I know I've mentioned this before, one of the things that I go back to occasionally was, uh, you know, at the beginning of, you know, with COVID and the beginning of lockdown and the decision to shut the churches. And, uh, and the church just rolled over. In fact, in the, in the Church of England, the bishops closed the church before the government said they had to. It was like... And we never question that. And I, I look back on that and I think we, we should have, the churches should have stayed. I know, you know, we needed to look after each other. We know we needed to keep people safe. But uh, again, it was like the environment thing. It was just suddenly fear, 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 project fear. And it was like, we, actually, the churches should have, I think the churches should have stayed open. Yes, we need to keep each other safe. But... Jesus has said we must meet together in his name. We must break bread together. We must worship together. So, um, so we live under authority. We need to respect it. We need to pray for those in authority over us. Ultimately, we have a higher authority that we need to honour and live to. And how we work that out, well, that's, that's what we do week by week, month by month. But all authority... It only comes from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So we live in the light of eternity. We live under authority and we live in community. Uh, chapter 14, verse 7. Paul says, none of us lives to themselves alone and none of us dies to themselves alone. No man is an island. Uh, Margaret Thatcher famously said there's no such thing as society. Uh, well, there is. Because we're not islands, we, we're created. But, uh, you know, our current generation, it's, you know, it's the me, me, me. It's everything revolves around us. Uh, you know, I, I, again, just the thing of, you know, the pandemic. I think, I'm sure there are some people who are still, you know, haven't bought a toilet roll in four years because they bought so many at the beginning of the, of the first lockdown. Because, you know, when, when we're kind of pushed a bit, it's, you know, it's all about me. It's me, me, me. That's our kind of, our, our, you know, our, our culture, our, our instinct. And the gospel challenges that. You know, the, the idea that we should sacrifice ourselves for the benefit of others doesn't sit very well in our culture anymore. But Paul says in Christ, in a church community, that's the way it works. That you're constantly 
kind of sacrificing yourself for the benefit of those around them. In chapter 13, verse 8, he says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves their, um, their brother or sister has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be, are summed up in this one rule, love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbour, therefore love is the fulfilment of the law. And um, Paul is writing, as I said at the start, you know, a mixed community. This is a, a bunch of people who, you know, the only thing they really have in common is Jesus. You know, some of them are, are rich, free people. Some of them are servants and slaves. Some of them are Greeks. Some of them are Jews. You know, it's a kind of hodgepodge of different ideas and uh, different ways of thinking. And somehow they've got to be moulded into a community revolving around Jesus Christ and uh, Lots of Paul's letters written to the churches are about sorting out things that have gone wrong because people are not getting on in the way that they, you know, in the way that they should. And so often in church, that's what, you know, that's what happens. And so Paul's thing is, look, think about each other. Think about each other. What can you do that will encourage and build somebody else up? Why are you sitting in judgment on somebody else? When actually you should be addressing your own life and the things that are going on in your in your own life. If you've if you've read chapter fourteen, uh, you'll realise it's all about um, it's all about food and about eating. And uh, verse two of chapter fourteen, he says, one person's faith allows them to eat everything, but another person whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. So this is not a verse that you can take out of context. And uh, use it to look down on vegetarians and vegans. That's, uh, that's, that's not the purpose. That's not the purpose of the, um, of the verse. It's not, it's not saying you, you shouldn't look down on vegans. It's, the issue is that in Rome of the time, pretty much every... You know, if you go to the butcher to buy meat, it has been offered to an idol. So all the meat that ends up on your table to eat has basically been taken to a temple and offered to an idol. So there are some Christians who look at that and think, well, well, I, in all conscience, I can't eat meat that's been offered to an idol because I worship the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm not going to bow the knee to anybody else. So if I eat this meat, it, it's like I'm condoning what's happened to it. So I'm not going to eat this meat. I'm going to just eat vegetables. But other Christians think, yeah, but... Well, food is just food. Idols are nothing. You know, they're, they're worshipping, you know, there's, there's nothing there. It's, it's just, it's, a, it's, a, it's an irrelevance, it's ignorance. So the meat, it's not, it's just meat. So yeah, I bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm going to eat whatever's put on my plate. So that's kind of what's, that's one of the arguments that's kind of going on. There are, there are, there are Christians looking down on each other because the Christians who are just eating vegetables are looking at the Christians eating meat and going, well, why are you, why are you doing that? You're condoning idol worship. And then the, and the Christians who are eating meat are looking down on the vegetarians saying, yeah, but Jesus said all, meat is, all food is acceptable. And that's what Paul says in verse um, 14 of chapter 14. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. Food is food. So, so the application for us is, because we don't have quite the same issues in offering our, you know, meat to idols, it's, you know, there are things that we would see differently. 
like, I don't know, Sunday trading. I have a real, I hate going shopping on a Sunday. For me, it's, it's like a real, it's like a real thing. If, if, if kind of push came to shove, I would be kind of saying, well, I don't think you should, I don't think you should go shopping on, on this, because I think this day is a day for rest and worship. And, and occasionally I do need to, I do have to go shopping and I, occasionally I pop into Sainsbury's on, uh, on a Sunday and it breaks my heart because I see sheep without a shepherd. And it, and, it, and it honestly breaks my heart. But, you know, that's, that's me. It's not a salvation issue. You know, if you go shopping on a Sunday, it's, you know... You know and there are other things, like smoking. You know, I was brought up... If my mum ever caught me smoking... I did smoke just for a short period. My mum had ever... She had been horrified. Absolutely horrified. Partly because my dad died from lung cancer. It didn't help. But, um, but, you know, but I have Christian friends who smoke. I'm not going to judge them. What does Paul say? Um... We will all stand before God's judgment seat. Why do you judge your brother or sister? This is verse 10. Uh, Verse 8. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. The point Paul is making is he's saying, look, just concentrate on your own walk with the Lord. Is your conscience clear before the Lord? If there are things in our lives that need sorting out... If we've said to the Lord, I worship you and you alone, he will tell us when things need changing. He will put his finger on attitudes that need changing. He will put his finger on attitude, you know, on behaviours that need changing. And what we need to do in our church community is, as I said last week, is encourage each other and cheer each other on. There will be things that we, we disagree about and see differently. But if they're not issues of salvation if they're not issues around the lord the the sovereignty of the lord jesus if they're not issues around the divinity of the lord jesus if they're not issues around the fact that we have sinned and we need a savior and jesus died on the cross and that we need to come in repentance and faith and accept him those are non-negotiable but there are other things that we will have a discussion about and paul is saying make every effort to live together Make every effort to live together in peace. Verse 19 of chapter 14. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. To mutual edification. Verse 17. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by others the kingdom of god is not a matter of eating and drinking but of righteousness how do we become right with god Uh, well through our lord jesus christ and once we've become right with our lord jesus christ when we're in right relationship with him he will begin a work in us to transform us and purify us and enable us to become the people that he created us to be and there will be things that we will need to stop doing and there'll be things that we need to start doing but he will show us in in the in the church in the community of God's people what do we do we love our neighbor as ourselves we cheer each other on we're a community of welcome and of forgiveness but a community gathered around a holy God who is changing us more and more into his likeness. So what's it look like to 
uh, to live as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. It means that we live in the light of eternity. We have a different perspective on today and the future. It means we live under authority, uh, under his authority, but also under the authorities that he has put in place. We don't seek to rebel against them and overthrow them. We seek to pray for them and support them as much as we can. But we give our first allegiance to Jesus Christ. And that will mean sometimes we challenge earthly authority and we live in community. A community where we put each other first. A community where we love each other. A community where together we are being made more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. So let's pray for a moment as we reflect on these verses. And uh, Lord, we prayed a a few moments ago that we would hear your voice. And uh, and Lord, whenever whenever I preach, that's always my desire, is that it would just be your voice that that is heard. So Lord, if there's anything that I've said that is, is not of you, may we quickly forget it. But the things that are of you, the words that you want us to, to remain with us, Lord, would you ink those into our hearts, whether it be an encouragement or a challenge. Uh, Lord, it's your revelation that we want to hear. And those of us that know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, we want to be transformed more and more and more into his likeness. So, Father, by your Holy Spirit, would you continue to work in us and through us? If there's anything particular that we need to hear this morning, that we need to ponder as we leave this place, then, Lord, would you speak to us now? Lord, we bless you and we thank you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's stand and sing our final hymn.